daughters of the Most High God. Welcome. I'm in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, this book could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I like to refer to it as TAG. T-A-G. You've played TAG before, right? <clears throat> and I believe that God loves tagging us and saying it's your turn. I've been working on them for quite a while. It's your turn. You know, the, the principle here is that God's at work in everybody's life all the time, all around the world, trying to convince them that he loves them. That's, that's, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we love and the God who loves us. He's always at work in your life. He's always at work in my life and everybody else's life. And sometimes he plays tag and says, I need you to help me with this assignment. And today we find a story of God playing tag with two men, Peter and John. Let's see what the scripture says. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, does anybody know anything else significant that happened in three in the afternoon recorded in the Bible? Anybody? Anybody remember that? It's called the ninth hour starting at six. You count nine hours, it gets you to three. Anybody? Anybody remember? Yes, Jesus died at 3 in the afternoon. Okay? So when he died, and, and they took him down on the cross and buried him, and then he rose again, but that was 3, and so it was the time of prayer. It's interesting that Jesus died at the time of prayer that people were going to the temple. Anyway, they were going to the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon, and now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now, we find out later in the story, the man was over 40 years old. And so, let's say by the time he was 12, in Jewish society, you became an adult when you were 12. Let's say that he was 12 when they started taking him to the gate to beg as a 12-year-old adult. And that culture would be there. So, for 30 years, for 30 years, plus or minus, we don't know exactly, this man had been taken every day to the temple court sat outside the temple because he couldn't go in the temple. Why couldn't he go in the temple? He couldn't go to church because he had a deformity. And in Jewish society, if you had anything wrong with you, you couldn't go in the temple and worship. You just couldn't go through the gate. You had to stay on this side of the gate and look inside the gate and watch all the other people go in there and worship God. You couldn't go in because you had something wrong with you. Now, aren't you glad we don't live that way today? Aren't you glad that you got to come today because everybody's got problems, right? Everybody's got something going on. Right? Come on. Yeah. Everybody's struggling with something somewhere on any given day. And yet God says, come on in my house. Come on into the gate. And it's interesting that he was stationed at the gate beautiful. The gate beautiful was called beautiful because it was the most ornate gate of all the gates that went into uh, the city. And it was also the one that led into the the court of the Gentiles, which led to the court of the women, you know, because they all had to stand back. They couldn't go to the, the further court where the Jewish men could go. But you could stand at the gate and look in and see what was taking place. The gate was called beautiful. Now, there are a lot of gates mentioned in the Bible. In Nehemiah chapter 3, you can read about some of those gates if you want to study them. Let me give you the list. There was the sheep gate. Guess what happened at that gate? That's the gate the sheep were brought in, right? Does that make sense? They brought the sheep in for slaughter <clears throat> and or for sale or transfer, whatever might take place, but that was the sheep gate. There was the fish gate. Guess what took place there? 
They, they, <laughs> they, they sold fish there, right? That was a sheep gate. They brought fish. They sat there and they sold them. And, and so there were, there were gates coming into Jerusalem. That was a fish gate. There was the old gate, right? And that's where all the old people sat. And it's called Hardy's now. <laughs> but back in the day, it was called Old Gate. There was the valley gate. Guess where that led? Led to the valley, right? There was the dung gate. <laughs> That's right. You know, in the city of Jerusalem, they had dung just like we have dung in our city, right? So they had to take it out. That was the gate they took it out. And they, they, they took it out to uh, the trash heap and dumped it there. And that was the gate they went through. There was the fountain gate. Had a beautiful fountain there. There was the water gate. No, not that water gate. The one in the 70s. Not when Richard Nixon said, I'm not a criminal. Right? <laughs> not a criminal. Pales in comparison to all the gates we have today, right? We won't, we won't go into all the political gates we have, but we've got a lot of gates going on. There was the horse gate. Right? There was the east gate. There was the inspection gate where they inspected all the offerings, the animals that would be sacrificed. And then there was the beautiful gate. A lot of gates, right? A lot of gates. So he was at the gate. He was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts because he was hoping if they were going in that their hearts were being made right. And hopefully when they came out of church, right, they would be softened up and would, and would drop an offering in his cup. So he was stationed at the most important place. Several years ago, Debbie and I got to visit uh, Italy. We went to... Rome, we went to uh, the Vatican, uh, St. Peter's Basilica there. And outside of the Vatican, the Vatican's got a giant wall all the way around it that's, I don't know, 15, 20 feet tall. You, you just can't look over. You have to walk around and go in the right door and, and pay the right fee to go into church to go in there. But along the wall were people begging, just a solid row of people sitting there begging, thinking that all the tourists who were Christians who were coming to check out you know, the Vatican and Sistine Chapel and all that would, would have pity on him, throw something in the cup, right? Uh, so nothing's changed from this story to the story today. If you go there today, you'll see people begging outside of the Vatican. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Can you, can you spare some change, brother? And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Now, have you ever sat on your leg Long enough to where it, like it feels numb. Yeah, it done I can remember as a child the first time that ever happened to me. It never happened to me before. I, I'm maybe eight or nine years old. I don't remember. But I'd, I'd sat on my leg long enough and it got numb. And when I stood up, I couldn't feel my leg. And, you know, it didn't work right. And I'm running through the house, trying to run through the house, screaming. Because I'm, I'm scared, right? Ah, I can't feel my leg. I can't feel my leg. Mom, dad running in there. What's wrong? What's wrong? I can't feel my leg. I can't feel my leg. Why can't you feel your leg? I don't know. I can't feel my leg. 
And it starts tingling, you know, and it's like, it's this tingling, it's tingling. And they just kind of, they look at me because they're old enough to know that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass. And sure enough, it passed, and, and, and I looked like a fool. <clears throat> this man hadn't walked in 40-something years, Don. He hadn't, he hadn't walked in 40. He certainly hadn't jumped up and down. He certainly hadn't danced in 40-something years. And this miracle was so intense and so complete that he was able to jump up. He'd never known how to jump up and down. He was, he was crippled from birth, is what the scripture says. He had never known how to jump up and down. He had never known how to jump around and dance and run. Or, he'd never known how to do any of that. He was crippled from birth. But this miracle was so intense that not only did it restore all of his muscle and everything, it gave him knowledge of how to use all this. Because he didn't know how to use it. And he began praising God. And with all the people saw, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, when I think about this story, I think about the fact that, that Peter and John had gone to temple every, every Saturday like clockwork. They were, they were good Jewish guys. And so for years, we don't exactly know how old these guys were. John was supposedly maybe a teenager. He may have been 16, right? And we don't really know, but he was a youngster in, in the bunch, and Peter was kind of the old guy. But they had walked past this guy for years, right? And had not noticed him, had not said anything to him. Apparently, we don't know that. That's, that's kind of gemology. I can't prove any of that. But here's something else that, that strikes me about this. Jesus was faithful to go to the temple every Saturday also. It, at least for the last three years of his ministry, we know he lived in Capernaum, right? But for the last three years of his ministry, he was in and out of Jerusalem quite a bit. So we know he went there, and the Bible says this man was laid there every day of his life for 40-something years. Jesus would have been 30 years old, so there's a 10-year difference here. But Jesus would have seen this man. Why didn't Jesus heal him? If Jesus walked by this man every weekend to go to church, possibly during the week, why didn't he heal the man? The man's sitting there begging. Why didn't the man ask for healing? And they're begging. Why didn't the disciples look at Jesus and say, that guy's been like that for 40 years. I've, I've seen him for, for 30 of my years. Or John may have said, I've seen him, you know, 16 years. Why don't you heal that guy? Where was that conversation? There's no material to tell us. I don't know. This is gemology here. But I think, I think Jesus left that miracle undone so that Peter and John could do the miracle. He wanted to play tag with Peter and John. And because God knows everything, past, present, future, he knew there would be a time when these two guys would be going up to the temple filled with the Holy Ghost because chapter 2 of Acts is when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, right? It's when we see the day of Pentecost. And Jesus wanted to wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
to overflowing so they could overflow with what they had. Jesus said, tag, you're it. I've been watching him all of his life. Every time I've gone in, I've watched him. And I'm sitting out on the side. That'll be for Peter and John. You know, I think about the temple. I think about religion. Religion leaves you begging. Religion leaves you begging. All the Jewish priests walk by that guy. All the, all the Levites walk by him. All the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. And all those people that went to the, to the temple. They all walked by this man. And none of them apparently offered to heal him. None of them. Religion leaves you begging. Religion leaves you blaming someone else. Did this man sin? Did his parents sin? Why is he in this case? Why? He was like this from birth. That, that must mean he's got a curse on him. Blaming. That's what a Jewish person would have said. That religion leaves you in bondage. Religion leaves you in bondage to what man thinks instead of what God thinks. Religion leaves you in bitterness of spirit. And religion leaves you with belittlement. Belittlement. You're not as good as me, so you can't come to church with me. I'm sorry. You don't measure up. I'm sorry. You're struggling right now with what you believe about God. I'm sorry. You're struggling right now with your faith. I'm sorry. You're struggling right now with why your loved one passed away and the other person got healed. I know you're struggling with that. Religion belittles you for even thinking that, <laughs> but not Jesus. Jesus says you can sit at the gate beautiful anytime you want to, and I'll bring you beauty. I'll turn ashes into beauty. He says, I will eventually put boldness back into your life if you'll let me. And I will bless you while you're sitting. And that's what Jesus leaves us. Jesus leaves us with benevolence. He comes and says, I've got something for you. I've got something for you. You know, these two men were exercising fortitude. You remember the four things, right? Love God. Love yourself. Love others. And love creation. And we see them loving God because they're going to church, right? We see them loving others because there's a man here that needs the love of Christ in his life, right? We, we can see them exercising part of the fortitude as they're walking into the temple. The gate beautiful, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in his time. Maybe you're waiting Maybe you're waiting. Maybe you're still waiting for something to be made beautiful. It will be. He has already made it beautiful in his time. We may not understand it here. We may only understand it there. But he has already made it beautiful in his time. That's the beautiful gate that we sit at. That's the gate that Jesus comes to. <laughs> and I love the fact that Jesus <laughs> gets to a place in John chapter 10. Where he says this, John chapter 10, verse 9, he says, I am the gate. <laughs> I am the gate. You can go to the sheep gate, you can go to the fish gate, you can go to the water gate, you can go to the valley gate, you can go to all those, va those gates in your life. You can go knock on those gates and hope for something better. But if you'll come to this gate called Jesus, I will make everything beautiful in its time. Come open this gate. The water gate, you may solve your thirst. The sheep gate, you may solve your need for food. Or whatever it may be. 
But in this gate called Jesus, you'll find eternal life. Eternal life. So the challenge for us today is, I see four things here that these two men did as they exercised fortitude. Four things. <clears throat> first, uh, the first thing I see is, as, as they were going about their day, just going about their day, is they saw this man and they said, look at us. L- look on me. L- look at me. You know, when you, when you check out somewhere and the cashier checks you out, the, the common thing in America today is say, well, have a great day, right? Have a nice day, right? And, and now companies have gotten even more proactive. When you walk in the door, someone sees you and says, welcome. You know, you go to Firehouse, right? Firehouse subs. What, welcome to Firehouse. I, mean, I, just want, I just want to eat when they say that, right? It's just like, a, like saying sick them to a dog. Welcome to Firehouse. I'll order something, whatever you say. Because everybody that's, that's working there says, welcome to Firehouse. And it just kind of goes down. Welcome to Firehouse. Welcome to Firehouse. Welcome to Firehouse. But do you ever stop that person when you're walking in and they say, good to see you or welcome? Do you ever stop and say something to them? I do. I love doing it. You walk in and, and they say, hey, how are you today? And I would just stop and square up and look at them and take a step forward like I'm interested and say, I'm doing well. How are you doing today? And they will stop and freeze because nobody does that to them. Nobody does that to them. And you have a chance to minister the name of Jesus to them, right? So this week I was heading to the grocery store and I got a, a text on my phone that someone I'd been praying for had passed away. And I was disturbed in my spirit because I really was hoping that this lady would be healed and, and she wasn't. And so I went on to the grocery store and I'm checking out in line, and the lady behind the, at the cashier, there's nobody behind me, which is unusual, and I only had three or four things, and so she's checking me out, and she swipes one thing across, and then she looks at me and just starts looking at me. And she said, are you a Christian? Now, what, store do you, what store do you go to where somebody asks you if you're a Christian? They'll get fired for that, right? If I'm an atheist on the other side of the counter, I can just I'd write her up right there, right? I'd call to somebody and say, come fire this person, right? I said, Yes, ma'am, I am. And I says, I'm a pastor. She said, I can see you're troubled. She said, I want to pray the peace of Christ into you. She looked me right in the eyes and prayed the peace of Christ into my life right there. I needed that in that moment. I need, she acted with fortitude. <laughs> she acted with fortitude. Prayed for me going through the checkout line. You know, when you look somebody in the eye, that's when the Holy Spirit opens up the heart gate. And you can see into a person's heart and know how to respond to them. Look at us. Look at us. When you look at a person, you let them know that they are a person of worth and value and that they're special to you and God. Nowadays, we don't look at people. We look at our phone, right? You know, we, we, we've got our phone and we walk in the store like this, you know, and, eh, and we keep on going. We just got our phone in our hand. I, I, I almost ran over seven people this week at the store. They're just walking right down the middle of the lane, you know, in the parking lot, not paying attention, looking at the phone. 
Well, we need to look up, don't we? We need to look up. Second thing I noticed about these guys, <clears throat> they said, uh, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I'm willing to give. What I have, what do you have? I think about Moses arguing with God about, oh, I can't do that. I can't, I can't lead a million people out of Egypt. You know, just, he kept making excuses after excuses. And he said, uh, God said, Moses, what do you got in your hand? I got a staff. Throw it down. He threw it down and the thing turned into a snake. Anybody in here ever thrown a broom handle down and it turned into a snake? Let me see your hand. Come on. What would you do if it did turn into a snake? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You'd find a door, right? Or you'd make one, right? If it was blocking the door, you'd go out the wall. All right? Or the window or something. He threw the thing down and turned into a snake. And then God said, now pick it back up. Can you? I mean, what kind of, what kind of God is that, right? Pick the snake up. But he did, and it turned back into a staff. Another story. What do you have? You might not have what a person thinks they need, but you do have what they really need. You got Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what a person's real need is out here. You've got, you've got the answer for them in Jesus. Now, you may need to meet the real need first. You may need to feed them first and clothe them first. You may need to give them a ride to the doctor first before you can tell them about Jesus, before they'll listen. You may need to, you may need to minister to them for 10 years before you can tell them about Jesus. But that's what you have. That's what you'll always have in Christ Jesus. You'll, you'll never lose that. He gives it to you. It's, it's yours. It's, he's there. He says, I am the gate. Anybody that enters in will have everlasting life. That's what he says. What do you have? What do you have? We sometimes focus on what we don't have. Well, I can't sing. Well, I can't play an instrument. I can't stand up in front of people and talk. You know, Peter and John said, look, I, I don't have silver and gold. We tend to focus on what we don't have instead of what we do have. Third thing I see here is I give. I give. What I have, I give. The scripture says in Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely hoard. Right? Amen? Freely you have received, freely hoard that. Come on. Is anybody awake? Come on. Come on. Freely what? Go What? Give. Oh, okay. Freely you've received. In other words, Jesus says, like, I'm giving you all this free. Now you give it away. Matthew 10, 8. The heart of fortitude, the heart of living with fortitude is a generous spirit. The heart of living with fortitude is a generous spirit. That's the heart of it. If you find somebody in need and you don't meet that need, then it's, it's not a generous spirit. It's not living with fortitude. But if you find a need and you have the ability to meet that need, then be generous. Be generous with whatever it is that you have. The, the lady that prayed for me, that, that saw me as a Christian and saw me as a man of God, she saw that she freely gave that to me. 
She didn't go to church here. I, I don't know where she goes to church. Don't know anything about her. But God spoke to her. And she freely gave. She took a chance that I wasn't an atheist and going to turn her into the, the atheist police or whatever it is to have her fired. She, t- she just gave. She had a generous spirit. I'm going to give back. That's the heart of fortitude. Is a generous spirit here. I give. I give it away. I give it away. And then the fourth thing I see is <laughs> they knew the right name to use. <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. It's the only name that matters. It's the only name that matters. Do you know that name? He goes by a lot of names. We've got a hundred of them in the building here, right? A hundred of them in the building here on, that are listed on our walls of who God is. But Jesus is the one we know most intimately. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter and John lived a life of fortitude. I want to call on us to live a life of fortitude also. And if we've been passing by the same person for 30 years and haven't seen their real need, I want to challenge all of us to go back and rethink and cry out to God and say, who have I been passing by for 30 years and have not taken time to to pray for them, to see them set free, to give what I have? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for your love. Come, Holy Spirit, right now. I just ask you, Holy Spirit, to come right now and put someone in our heart that we've walked past for 30 years or or three years and, and we've not taken time to look them in the eye and say, what I have, I give. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Holy Spirit, come and just convict us of that. And that gentle way that you do, show us that person. And give us the fortitude to go minister to them this week in the name of Jesus. Jesus, you are the gate. We enter into you. We can come and go freely. In spite of how we feel, in spite of what we think, in spite of our struggles, in spite of the things we don't understand and the crazy world around us. You still invite us to come through the gate. The beautiful gate. Because you are the beautiful one. Come Lord Jesus, have your way with us this morning. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come this morning into our lives. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen.